0: Lawton King is a retired psychologist who is focused on helping parents and teachers to understand children with learning challenges and difficulties. It's somewhat of a personal crusade for him from his 70 plus years navigating education and a professional career as a dyslexic person. This included working with children and parents in schools and homes for more than three decades. He knows firsthand the struggles, misconceptions, frustrations, and psychological fallout from having a learning difficulty. Norton King writes of this in his new book, Inside the Dyslexic Mind. Uh, Morena, um, thank you and welcome.
1: Akemarai, Catherine.
0: Can, first of all, can, can you just explain what we now understand about what dyslexia is?
1: You put that in a very interesting way. Because a lot of what we understand, I would say, is not at all valid. Uh, There's a huge confusion around what dyslexia is. The word dyslexia, it's, it's Latin, and it means has difficulty with language. And it's actually pretty accurate in terms of a description. But get past the description and try and figure out what it is behind that is another matter altogether, and perhaps I'd be best to start off, Catherine, by saying, dyslexia is not a reading difficulty. It looks like it, but it's not. It's not a writing difficulty. It does look like it, but it's not. It's not a t- uh, it's not a learning difficulty. What it is is a teaching difficulty. Because the person who is dyslexic has an absolutely, totally and utterly normal brain. There's nothing wrong with our brains at all. In fact, we have a a slight difference. And you could liken it to the difference between petrol and diesel. The car looks the same. It runs. It's got a motor. But what you put in the tank is slightly different. Now, about 85% of the cars are petrol. About 15 percent diesel. Well, the, the figures are the same for children. Those who you now, what do you call a neurotypical are people who process language as their thinking tool. Now, our schools are the home of language: reading, writing, talking, listening, thinking in question, uh, uh, thinking in language. Asking questions, answering questions. Our schools are a total language place. Fine if you are a language processor. But the dyslexic person has less ability to think in language, but does most of their processing, their, their thinking, if we can put it that way, in a pictorial form. We use our imagination, our imagination. It's an image-based operation. And although the two operations, language and picture thinking, commonly go together, the person who is dyslexic has their prime function in the image-based thinking and to a much lesser degree in in the language functioning. Hence, we don't do well at school.
0: Which is why I made that double reference once to difficulty and the other to challenge yes. because yes, yes. the challenge is the way a child is taught the challenge is the way our, our school systems and our many of our systems are, are set up and the lack of a bit of adaptability that they present
1: that's absolutely true there's a reason for that and that the reason is the people who do well in school, other people who do language well and they go in to be in the into being the controlling forces in the, in society they become the lawyers they become become the government people they become the people who dominate society because they read and write and talk and listen and they do it well those who don't have strengths in this area tend to become the author ends we are the inventors, we are the problem solvers, but we don't have the voice. You can have a wonderful idea sitting in your head in pictorial form, but if you're not a language person, it's very, very difficult to communicate that.
0: The series of this impact is, is detailed in your book and in your own personal life, and I know far too many people either have a dreadful self-image um, as a result of everyone else's... Um, problem if you like uh, and that this can be very serious uh, and it can lead to um, well I think you're upfront about contemplating suicide as a youngster because of feeling a, a sense of failure and I know that you've worked with many many young people in that same space so this is so important but what I want to tap into if you would Lawton in the time that we have is what you've learned and therefore what you teach in this book what is the key to doing things differently and better? You did it by workarounds. You got three degrees. <laughs> um, and you did it by very tiring and complex workarounds. What are better ways of doing things?
1: Well, I, I need to be straight with you here, Catherine. It is not my job, in terms of the way I see things, to answer all the questions and teach teachers how to teach dyslexic kids. My job is to be the go-between between between the dyslexic and the non-dyslexic world to clarify the style that dyslexic people use. Uh, We cannot create programs, we cannot be effective teachers to an audience, to a group that we don't understand. And most of the research that is being done on dyslexia is not being done on the children who fail been done on children who succeed in school. And the question that is asked is, how did these children learn? How do normal children learn? Okay, we learn to understand that and we apply it to the ones who are failing. Bad thinking. Bad problem solving. My real concern is not so much that for a start, but my real concern is for the parents And the teachers who are listening to this conversation to help them understand the child that is sitting at their breakfast table this morning so that they can moderate their own interactions with the child in such a manner as it doesn't undermine the child's self-concept. Shall
0: we begin at the beginning then with indicators of pictorial thinking and other, um, um, gosh, all the words are negative. I thought evidence, clues, they all sound negative. Other indicators that uh, that a child may have dyslexia or may think this way may be much more oriented towards pictorial thinking than language. What are some of the indicators?
1: Interesting question. Good question. And I, I will answer it backwards in that you get indicators that the child is not understanding language at a very young age. Commonly, parents will have a doctor check the child's hearing. He doesn't seem to understand, he doesn't seem to hear us when we talk to him. Now, Catherine, I'm going to give you a very quick exercise to quickly make you a dyslexic person, won't last long. If I say the word tennis racket, the language part of your brain picks that up, understands it, and passes it on to the pictorial side, which comes up with a picture. Do you get a picture of a tennis racket when I say that word? I do. You do? Good. Okay, now for those in the audience who uh, may be wondering what I mean, I'm going to say another word. This time it's teddy bear. And instantly you get a picture of a teddy bear in your head, yes? Correct. Good. Okay, now we bring in a slight complication. I'm going to say a word, and the word is perhaps. What's the picture?
0: A thought bubble. (laughs) There is no picture. The picture is the word.
1: Right. There is no... Well, you're lucky you understand this, and retrospectively, you have learnt to get a picture of the word, but for the six-year-old child, the word perhaps has no picture, Therefore, it has no meaning.
0: It's a void. It's just a, it's just a void. And straight away, I can right. feel myself back, And uh, fortunate as I am, having a moment where I didn't know the answer to something and straight away my blood pressure got up and I felt a bit panicky about it. I should have an answer. I should have an answer. So just for a moment, I've put myself in the situation of that happening over and over and over and over again.
1: Right. And for me as a child, that was happening 100, 200 times a day school becomes a nightmare I have no idea what's going on around me the teacher is talking all the other kids seem to know what to do and I'm left there thinking I have no idea what's happening here I go and say to the teacher I don't know what to do you weren't listening were you I could see you were miles away well she was right but she didn't know why I was miles away trying to figure out what the word perhaps meant by the time I got to the point of saying, No, I can't work that one out, I looked up and the rest of the class had gone to lunch. Now, that sense of failure, that sense of not being good enough, is overpowering. And as you pointed out before, self-concept is the first thing that goes down the tubes. But let's go back to my little exercise. So, first of all, yes, you understand what it's like to get a picture in your head and the word creates a picture. Good. Now, I create another word, perhaps, or spontaneous, or environment. No picture for any of them. But the most common instruction ever given to a child by an adult has two simple words. Now, I'm going to say these words, and you tell me what the picture is. The words are, hurry up.
0: Well, again... I, I see two words, but mm-hmm. there's no visual picture, Lawton, so I'm hearing what you're saying. A language person might see the words, yes, a visual person doesn't see the words, and there's no vision for it
1: yes, <laughs> right. that's right yeah. and the, this is what we say to children all the time. Come on, hurry up, I told you, hurry up, and it's a
0: meaningless no it's a meaningless word, yes yeah,
1: and they therefore cannot give the parent nor themselves. The response that is expected, but it would be so simple to uh, replace that word "hurry up," which incidentally is is out of the old English coal mines one <laughs> staffed by children. Um, if we used a different word that created a useful picture, and the suggestion would be, "Johnny, go and clean your teeth, run."
0: <laughs>
1: simple as that.
0: It's a visual word. It's an action word. It's a visual word. It's an word.
1: action word the kid can get his head around. you will probably bowl a cat and his little sister as he's ripping down the hallway. <laughs> hey, but he's getting there knowing this time that he can give mum the cooperation that she so desperately wants. Two
0: observations. One, if you find yourself saying hurry up a lot to a child, you need to stop and think why that's happening. That's one observation, why someone is in that situation. And the second observation is when you give instructions, make them visual, make them able to be visualized.
1: Yes, now let me make this a little bit more complex and a little bit more savage. I asked you to think of a tennis racket. You were very cooperative. Now, Catherine, don't think of a stepladder.
0: <laughs> Too late. <laughs> okay, and what's the relevance of, of, of our inability to not think of elephants or stepladders or anything else?
1: We weren't trying hard enough. You were distracted. You were not motivated. We blame the child, straight uh-huh. off. Straight so, off, we blame the child. Right. Okay, now let's just come back to a scenario. The child is three years old. In their hand, they have a glass of bright orange juice. They are walking across the brain-spanking new carpet. What do we say commonly? Be careful. Oh, <laughs> you were quick. <correct. laughs> no, we don't say be be careful. We say don't spill your drink.
0: Now oh, I've got you, got you. And what
1: we do in saying, don't spill your drink, is we actually hypnotize the child. We have put a picture in the kid's head of a spilling drink. And that is old-fashioned hypnosis. That's how we train the All Blacks, using hypnosis. It doesn't work so well with some of them, but you know, that's beside the point. We still do it. We do it with our children all the time. Don't kick the cat. How many times do I have to tell you? Don't leave your bike in the middle of the drive. Do you Were know what, you, it's, the, what
0: um, it's Lawson, it's what top athletes don't let themselves do for just that reason. They don't say to themselves, don't miss the ball. We say that to them, don't miss the yeah. ball. But that exactly. is actually inviting the brain to visualise the very thing you don't want to happen. And in a very visual person, that is even more powerful, right?
1: It's, it's enormously powerful, yes. Now people know that we shouldn't use negative language, but they don't know why. And that's why I use these illustrations, I had a child referred to me once for attempting suicide seven times. Oh, God. He was seven years
0: old. Oh, gosh, Lawson.
1: When I talked to him about his situation, I said, tell me about this. He says, I'm a bad, evil person. I should be dead. Oh, tell me more. Well, every time my mum or my dad tells me not to do something, I do it straight away. I know I shouldn't. So I'm a bad, evil person. I should be dead. The child was not my client. I very quickly got hold of the parents and asked them about their control systems at home. Oh, yes, you've got SESA rules. Oh, tell me about the of rules. Well, never do this. Don't do that. We won't do this. It was all negative. Now, fortunately, they were a very, very astute couple and highly motivated. It took about 20 minutes for them to completely get the idea of how the situation that was dominating their household with this child attempting suicide, how they were inadvertently creating it. Now that child had been to psychiatrists, to doctors, to all sorts of specialists. He had been in and out of every damn clinic there was. It took 20 minutes to change the whole situation simply because fortunately, or you can say unfortunately, if you like, my life experience means that I understand what's going on with children like that. That's why I want to speak on your radio. That's why I want people to listen to this and think, what am I doing that is helping or sabotaging my child?
0: We talked about the importance then of instructions being able to be visualised, not some of the silly phrases, as you said, hurry up, whatever it means, or any other phrases that are the... You know cliches that come out of all of our mouths. Be specific and be visual. Yep. What else about parenting and/or teaching and/or nurturing a child um, is it important to think
1: about? Okay, those two, those examples I've given you so far are just a little bit about the way language works with these children. Now that's like the tip of the iceberg. And as you know, the iceberg is 99% under the water. And yes, the main impact on a child's self-concept is the way the adults around them talk to the child. And the assumptions we make, you're not motivated, you're not trying hard enough,
0: we're blaming the child. You're naughty, you're disobedient.
1: Exactly, exactly. And these are the things that actually take hold in the child's head because they they are the the symbols, symptoms of of rejection. Dyslexia goes a heck of a long way further and it actually impacts everything about reading and writing for a strange reason. Our reading and writing system was invented by the Phoenicians about 4,000 years ago. These Phoenicians were very, very insightful people and they knew that about eighty five percent of our population are right handed. The others, poor sods, they're lefties. Now the Phoenicians also knew that if you take a right handed person, give them a piece of chalk in their hand and get them to draw a line, a horizontal line, they will move their right arm across their body, put the chalk on the on the boards, for instance and drag the chalk from left to right. So therefore the line travels in a left to right direction. If you ask a left-hander to do the same thing, they will do exactly the same thing. They will put the chalk in their left hand, they will extend it across their body, put it on the blackboard or whiteboard or whatever, and drag it across their body and out the other side. But now it's traveling from right to left. Now, most people don't actually think about this, but this is the reason why our sentences run from left to right across the page, because as the Phoenicians determined, this is the way the majority of the population work. Not only does a sentence go from left uh, left to right, but each word equally goes from left to right. Now, more than that, The letters of the alphabet are prescribed based on a figure of eight lying on its side that is done in a left-to-right direction. If you're a right-hander, try it out, grab a pencil and draw a figure of eight, and you'll find that your line is coming up through the middle, going down on the right-hand side, and going back up through the middle down the left-hand side. If a left-hander does that, naturally, normally they do it the other way round and the lines cross in the middle, but on a downward stroke. Then start off looking at your figure of 8 that you've created on the page in the right-handed manner, going up through the middle, and have a look at how most of the letters of the alphabet can be easily seen to fit in so that they're prescribed in that 4000-year-old Phoenician determined direction what I'm saying is when it comes to reading and writing the poor little dyslexic kid is like a diesel engine that somebody's filling full of petrol we are trying to get this kid to work in a manner that is not natural and he's having to effectively work backwards he backwards through writing each word backwards through writing each sentence Backwards through reading each word and each sentence, do we wonder that these kids get tired, start yawning as soon as they see print? I still have that same physical reaction. I yawn as soon as I see something to read.
0: It's amazing, Lawson. Thank you for your time and thank you for the book. As you say, we've barely touched on it, but uh, really educative insights for all of us. Thank you very much.
1: Can I say one last thing? Hmm. And a lot of people might be triggered by this to find out more, but can't afford to buy a $35 book. What I would say is get down to your local library, ask for it. Your library is obliged to buy the book and put it on their shelves. Now, they might have 20 or 30 people turning up. Fine, the library can buy five copies. Otherwise, the book is in the bookshops.